You're listening to Dulos, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Dulos explores servant leadership as an Orthodox Christian. I'm Holly Benton, your host and executive director of the Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative. Father Sergius Halverson is joining me on this fourth session today as we've been exploring servant leadership with respect to authority and humility. God willing, trying to imitate the example that we have in Christ, we've explored what false authority and what false humility looks like. Often we think of them as two separate things, but in Christ we see a perfect union of humility and authority, and our session today is going to be looking at Christ-like authority. Father Sergius Halverson was an early partner in developing the intensive program and servant leadership. Father Sergius is assistant professor of homiletics and rhetoric at St. Vladimir's Orthodox Theological. Seminary, and he's the director of the Doctor of Ministry program. His seminary courses include homiletics, rhetoric, Christian education, Orthodox Christian apologetics, and faith and science. Father Sergius, welcome back to our final session. So happy that you've been able to take time to do this four-part series with us through Lent. My pleasure entirely. So Father Sergius, could you give a little summary about what false authority and what false humility looks like? So the world, the false wisdom of the world says that Either you're humble or you have authority, but you can't have both. The false wisdom of the world would say that if you're humble, then you're a pushover. You're a sycophant. You have no spine and you just get pushed around. And if you have authority, then you're a hard charging, hard driving person who crushes every opposition in your way in order to get what you want. Clearly, you can't be humble and have authority. This whole notion is entirely contrary to scripture. And we've explored examples of false authority False authority would be any time that I seek to use my power and influence, my position, to force others to serve me. That is false authority. We talked about Exodus and how God said through his prophet Moses, God said to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. The point is, ultimately, if we're doing God's will, then everything we do is about serving God. It is not about coercing other people to serve me or to bring me pleasure. We looked at a number of different examples of false authority. We also looked at false humility, which in a way is a bit more dangerous because false humility, basically, I'm trying to wrap my sinfulness. I'm trying to wrap my exercise of false authority in some sort of pious camouflage. Mm -hmm. In a way, it's an expression of pride where I would say, well, you know, these are all the excuses. These are all the pious excuses for why I probably shouldn't do what you're calling me to do, Lord. Choose someone else. As we also mentioned Perhaps the most destructive uh, example of this is that at the end of the day, we might, in our false humility, decide that, well, I'm so sinful, I'm so wretched, even God can't forgive me, even God can't use me. And then we're left in that black pit of despair uh, that we find at the end of Judas's life. So both false humility and false authority, they're closely related, and they ultimately lead to destruction. Then we talked about Christ-like humility and how our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in everything he did, and we see this particularly in an explicit way in John's gospel, how Jesus says, I do not do anything on my own authority, but on the authority of him who sent me. And this idea, we talked about Isaiah's call, and how even if we realize that we're unworthy, we say, look, to paraphrase Isaiah, I'm not particularly well suited for this ministry because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm from an unclean people. But yet the prophet allows God to purify him, to strengthen him, And then Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Biblical or Christ-like humility is when we recognize our weakness, we recognize our sinfulness, and we are willing to do God's will 
as God calls us and as God gives us the grace to do so. You know, as one who might be tempted to polarize authority and humility, as you laid out, one image that may come to people's minds when we think about Christ's authority is that image of him being in the temple courts, overturning the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He acted like he owned the place. He seems kind of mad and a little scary and like he's really exercising his power and authority here. Right. Throughout the Gospels, we hear that many people were amazed that Jesus taught with such authority. He came in and and again, he exercised authority with the way that he was able to teach. In Matthew's gospel, after Christ's resurrection, he proclaims all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Yes. What are some of the other examples? And maybe on that other extreme of not the humble servant, meek and mild, but the one where it's like, whoa, watch out, this man has power. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned the cleansing of the temple. Christ and the money changers, which we have in all four Gospels. There's so much to be said about that. First of all, it's important to keep in mind, for as powerful and as stunning an image as that is, it's a relatively isolated instance in Jesus's ministry. And like you said, it could be characterized as the most aggressive action that Jesus takes against other people. So it kind of stands out. But you know, it's interesting, even here, really important, Jesus does not force anyone to do anything. In my reading of scripture, the only time that Jesus ever used his authority to force someone against their will was when he cast out demons. It was certainly disruptive. There's no question about it. But but he didn't force anyone to do anything, except now he does when he casts out the demons. So he doesn't give them a chance. I mean, they might rebel, but he says, no, out, out, out. So we only see Jesus using his authority to crush or scatter or banish when he's dealing with demons, but never with human beings. I think that's really important to note. Well, one of the first things I think we can say about true Christ-like authority is that it's primarily, we see it expressed in the spiritual warfare, to banish demonic powers in order to serve the neighbor, in order to deliver the neighbor from the torment of the demonic powers. St. Paul really summarizes it perfectly in Ephesians 6.12. He says, we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the worldly rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But getting back to that awesome, important episode of Jesus overturning the table of the money changers, Even though it's an incredibly small part of Jesus's ministry, I'm sorely tempted to think this one image I have here is my pattern for Christian witness. I start to think, hey, who are the money changers of my time? How can I overturn their table? You know, let me make a court of whips and go out and, uh, you know, teach some people what for. Two things I think that are really important to remember about this money changer episode. First of all, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the cleansing of the temple happens. When does it happen? happens immediately after Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Exactly. Right before his passion and death. So the first point for me is, well, if God is calling me to overturn tables, then I can be absolutely sure that he's about to call me to my passion and death. And not only that, when he calls me to my passion and death, he also commands me to forgive those who nail me to the cross. Mm -hmm. So so that's an important corrective for me. You know, as I go out to try to braid up my whip of cords, you know, okay, am am I about to go to my passion and death? And am I ready to forgive those who nail me to the cross? The second important thing is to remember that in John's gospel, second chapter of John, there's this interesting line right after Jesus drives out the money changers. The disciples remember that it was written, zeal for thy house will consume me. Right. Again, I'm thinking I'm tempted. Wow. Yeah. Zeal for thy house. Right. Go, go. You know, but where does that line come from? Zeal for thy house will consume me. Well, it comes from Psalm 69. Right before the line about zeal, 
The psalmist also says, O God, thou knowest my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from thee. Let not those who hope in me be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. I love that. Really important for us who are in positions of leadership in the church, right? Let not those who hope in thee, O Lord, be put to shame through me. Let not those who seek thee be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for thy sake that I have borne reproach, that shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brethren, an alien to my mother's sons. Which is beautiful because it defines zeal in terms of humility, mm-hmm. right? It defines the zeal in terms of humility. In Matthew, it's after Christ has been humiliated, humbled, submitting to death, even death on a cross, after his resurrection, after God raises him up from the dead, and Jesus comes back to Galilee to visit the 11 disciples, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and yeah. lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I think it's remarkable here that turning out the money changers at the temple, the authority is God's commandment. He's submitting to what is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. But then we don't hear of Christ's authority till after the resurrection. And there are two things, Holly, I think they're really important. Those last three lines of Matthew's gospel are so important. The first thing I want to point out is Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We like to stop right there. Mm-hmm. We, we, like to, we like to stop at that point. But we've got to read to the very end, right? He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's right. There is no baptism without the teaching. There is no right. baptism without teaching everything that Jesus has commanded. So it's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, now that you've got to the end of Matthew's gospel, go back to chapter five, read chapter five through seven again, read the Sermon on the Mount. What have I taught you? This is what you need to teach others. And of course, at the end, lo, I'm with you always to the close of the age. You're not doing this on your own, but Christ is working with us. And then the other thing too, that I think is really important to note in terms of Christ-like authority, when Jesus exercises his authority here at the very end of Matthew's gospel, He doesn't say, okay, I'm the one in authority. Now I'm going to go and make every decision. I'm going to go baptize the nations. I'm going to go to, what does he do? He sends others out. Such an important thing for us to remember in terms of our ministry in the church, because it's really easy to fall in the trap saying, well, you know, I'm the priest or, you know, I'm the parish council president or, you know, I'm, I'm the steward of this particular ministry. Therefore, I've got to do it all myself. Well, no, that's actually not at all how Christ exercises his authority. What does he do? He has identified these people. He has trained them. He has taught them. He has been a witness. He has sacrificed. Literally, he's died for them. And he's saying, look, now you guys do it. He's prepared others to do the work. And so that's super, super important in terms of Christ-like authority. It's not about sitting on the throne and just saying, I got all this handled. I'm going to take care of everything. Rather, it is making disciples and multiplying those who are prepared to go and do the work of the gospel. Right. Manifesting the inheritance, the promise to Abraham. Yes. It's the mission, the authority is not rooted in position. It's not rooted in right. genetics. Right. It's rooted in the scripture, the commandment, yes. hearing and doing the commandment of God. And that's where the authority is rooted, both in the submission 
and in the exercise of that authority. And that's how I think the humility becomes a part of it because you submit to the authority of God's commandment. And, you know, we have two perfect biblical examples in terms of exercising this Christ-like humility and authority. And the first one would be Mary. How does she conceive the word of God? She hears the word. And it's beautifully depicted in our icons that the ray of sun coming from the divine word, it doesn't point to her womb, it points to her ear, right? She conceives by hearing and very similar, it's like she's echoing Isaiah. In Luke's gospel, it's the narrative of the Annunciation. She questions, why should this happen to me? He says, you have been chosen. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. In humility, she accepts this unbelievable role to bear the Messiah. And she has this tremendous authority role. I mean, the mother of Christ to care for him, to teach him, raise him up and all that. Mm-hmm. But yet the way she exercises her authority is absolutely humble beautiful. And it's, it's a perfect icon for us about how we can, in our own way, incarnate the Word of God by hearing the Word, by saying, let it be done to me according to thy will. We are then able to do the apostolic work. According to Scripture, there are apostles, and that's kind of a rank in the church. But still, we are sent out in the same way. I mean, Christ's commandment at the end of Matthew's gospel applies to you and me in the same way that it did to uh, Peter, James, John, and the other apostles who were sent out in those days. So what encouragement might you have for our listeners, our lay leaders in the church, our clergy leaders in the church? How do we function as dulos, as a servant in the household of God, humbling ourselves to the authority of God's commandment in his household? To answer that, let's just turn back to scripture for a moment. And let's think about uh, in Matthew's gospel, the centurion who comes to Christ. So who is this guy? He's a centurion. He's an officer in the Roman army. He's an officer in the most powerful military on the face of the planet. His servant is sick, dying. He comes to Jesus to ask Jesus to heal his servant. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home in terrible distress in Matthew's gospel, chapter eight. First of all, this guy, he takes an incredible risk coming to Jesus. He's an officer in the Roman army, and yet he's going to ask an itinerant Hebrew for help. But yet he is responsible for his servant. So he comes to Jesus, and by coming to Jesus and by asking Christ to help his servant, the centurion is demonstrating true authority and true humility. Because on one hand, he's acting for the good of his servant, and the servant is clearly somebody who's subservient to the centurion. But yet he's acting, he's taking this incredible risk so that this person who serves under him might be helped. Jesus hears the centurion's request, and he says, I will come heal him. Now, here's the kicker. The centurion answers, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To my slave, do this, and he does it. And this is a perfect example of how true humility and true authority go hand in hand and how we in our parishes and in our churches and in our seminaries, wherever we may be, how we can fulfill our vocations as doulos, as servants, as people who are both exercising Christ-like humility and Christ-like authority. In the centurion, he both acknowledges his authority over others, right? He doesn't mince words. He doesn't say like, oh, I'm just nothing, you know. But no, he says, look, I'm an officer. I tell this guy, go. He goes. I tell this guy, come. I, can, I, know, what, I know how this works. While at the same time, he acknowledges that he's responsible for them. Mm-hmm. This totally like upends what we mentioned earlier, the worldly notion that either you're humble or you have authority. Oh no, 
in the centurion we see, and of course we saw that in the mother of God as well, but maybe the centurion we can see it a little better. Maybe it's something we can identify with a bit more that here you have someone who's clearly in authority and he's clearly humble. In Christ, we see that the scripture defines humility and authority as totally compatible. And in fact, according to scripture, you must be humble if you are to have authority and to do God's will. And to complete the story in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus heard the centurion, he heard his response, and this is, quote, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, be it done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Boom, there it is. And in many ways, it seems like the emphasis isn't on, do I have the right attitude of humility? Do I have the right attitude with my authority? Really what's at hand is the trust, yes. the faith, the work of yes. just say the word yes. and my servant will be healed. Like I am here for the sake of my servant. Yes, yes, exactly. We don't want to in any way imply that if I just have the right kind of mental belief, then somehow God is going to do all the work. God is going to work miracles and He's going to send me to do the hard work of feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting those who are sick and in prison, fulfilling those commandments that are so essential in terms of how we love the neighbor and we actually incarnate the gospel in our own lives, in our own community. It isn't the question, Lord, were we humble enough? Did we act with the right authority? You know, it, exactly. Again, it's service and love to the needy neighbor. There's work to be done, and it's just doing the work with faithfulness, with trust that what is needed, God has already provided. Yes, exactly. So this is a great series thinking about what we might think as extremes in authority and humility, but really they are united perfectly in scripture through Christ. Any last words, Father, on this series around leading and serving as a Lulos in the household of God? We all have responsibilities. We all have some sort of authority, whether it's a child who has authority over their toys or a mother over her children. What would an exercise of scriptural authority and humility look like in these everyday responsibilities that we have? So to be a servant leader, I think, is to live in obedience to the commandments of Jesus Christ and to exercise Christ-like authority and humility, no matter what our station. It doesn't matter how exalted we might be. It doesn't matter how lowly we might be in society. You know, every one of us has been placed in some position of authority. We've been asked to care for someone or something, and we have an opportunity to exercise true Christ-like authority from the child who has authority over some clothes, a few books, toys, maybe a pet animal, to the single working parent who has authority over that one child, all the way to the CEO of a multinational corporation who has authority over that parent and tens of thousands of others. Christ is giving us, every one of us, an opportunity to exercise true authority, to take responsibility, to serve and love our neighbor. And I would say it's especially true when our neighbor gives us no reason to want to serve them, especially when our neighbor is not easy to love. So similarly from the CEO to the single working parent to the child, we're all called to live in true humility, acknowledging that we are men and women under the authority of scripture, under the authority of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We could even say that we are under the authority of those that God has appointed for our care. And ultimately we are all under the authority of our heavenly father. Today, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and every day 
the crucified Messiah. He gives us the grace and the courage and the confidence to exercise true authority and true humility, just like the wise centurion. So may the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, bless us and strengthen us to follow his commandments and live as servants, as obedient slaves of the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Father Sergis. My pleasure. Thanks be to God.